1: make your second half of life even better than the first. We've all heard of Dr. Ruth. Now it's time you met Dr. Marcus. In today's episode, we talk with Dr. Batsheva Marcus, an internationally recognized certified sex therapist about her life, helping women reclaim pleasure in their bodies and spirit. And yes, men too. Author of the recently published book, Satisfaction Guaranteed, How to Have the Sex You've Always Wanted, Dr. Marcus will debunk the persistent myth that affects most of us from youth to older age. That great sex comes naturally and when it doesn't something's wrong not so our sex life is constantly changing as we age and that's the norm the goal dr marcus says is to keep things alive and interesting in our long-term monogamous relationships she bridges the gap between the medical and psychological women's sexual health so she offers an easy to use point system to help women analyze and improve the variables at work in their sex lives her guide covers it all and you'll want to hear it so now let's meet our guests Dr. Batsheva Marcus. Batsheva, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I am so, so thrilled to be here. I specifically love talking to audiences that are 45 and over.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs>
2: as one of them myself, quite a bit over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And and, and the, the worries we have about sex never change. We were worried in our 20s and we were in our 30s and over 40 and, and so forth. So, um, And and as we get even older, we're like, uh, is things okay? So I'm glad to have you on the show and um uh there's a lot to talk about um the first thing i wanted to mention though uh, is uh just that you know it, it's it's unusual uh to end up in this profession i'm sure people wonder like all right well how do you get to where you are today so just now you can people can go on on my rowell resources website and click on the 45 forward tab and they can see the latest episode which you're featured and they can read your bio so they can read that but just tell us in your own words a little bit about how you came to where you are today
2: oh my god you know it's so funny <laughs> prior to the show you and i were talking about the fact that life always takes its own little paths and paths you did not expect this to take and so if you had asked me when i was 20 if i thought i'd end up being a sex therapist i probably would have said no although maybe i don't know i was always interested uh, strikingly, and this really always surprises people, I grew up in a Jewish Orthodox household, mm. a pretty religious household, and um sex was never talked about as exactly as you'd expect. Um, which is true about a lot of households. It's not just, you know, religious yeah. households, but you see it a lot around. And I always was, you know, resentful of having gotten no sex education. I just feel like I think I feel like I grew up with a lot. I was a daughter of a biochemist, for God's sake. I knew so much science, but mm. I just never got a sex education, any, and I kind of resented it. Um, so over the years, I, I I moved differently. I did community organization work, and I was working for large organizations. And then, I sort of on a lark went to work with a urologist, um, mm. setting up laboratories. I was bored. I thought it would be fun to try my hand in the for profit rather than non for profit. And that was the year the Viagra came out. So it was mm. 1997. Wow. And yep. And um, I had already had a master's in social work. I had a master's in Jewish studies and I was working in the Jewish not-for-profit world before this, this lab stuff. And he, this is, I think such an interesting story. This is like, I think um, the world according to Bacheva, but I think I'm pretty accurate <laughs> on this one. Um, he was doing, he was a urologist who specialized in male sexual dysfunction um, and, you know, having erection issues, um, premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation, all, all those, all those good things. And um Viagra came on the market and you know it had been really complicated solving erection issues for men. So mm-hmm. there were a whole bunch of um a whole bunch of um Um, industry, industry leaders, um, uh, you know, companies throwing money at it, huge amount of researchers, there was so much money in that field. Getting guys erections was a multi-million dollar field, as you can Mm -hmm. probably imagine. And then when Mm -hmm. Viagra came on the market, it kind of collapsed that whole field, like all the specialists, all the medical Mm -hmm. specialists, all the, all the researchers, all the, you know, companies were racing for more solutions because it made it so easy to solve, you know, Mm -hmm. a little blue pill solved 70 to 80% of the a problem for men. So all of a sudden, so classic, all of those researchers, all of those physicians were like, okay, what do we do now? Right? Because people could go to their primary care doctor and get a little blue pill. So they were like, Oh, women, maybe it's not all in women's heads, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. there's actually medical issues going on for women too. And I at that point was working with this very closely with this urologist. And I had this master's in social work, I had always been interested in sex. And so I, we decided to open a women's sexual health center. I went back and got a master's in public health as well as a PhD in human sexuality. Um, and we, you know, open became basically one of the largest sexual health centers for women and men in the country. Wow. So that's that's the path. It's an odd path, um, but it was an exciting path because it allowed me to see sexuality from a completely different lens than I think there's a group of sex educators who are kind of working on one side and there was a group of like, Medical people kind of quasi working with men, a little bit with women at the time. And the idea of bridging those two and realizing that that gave you exponential, like it wasn't no longer X plus X, it was X squared when you got such better results. So I'm sorry, that was a long answer to a short No, question. no,
1: that's, no, no, that's, but that's, it's an, it's an interesting answer <laughs> and uh, it gives a little historical perspective because I didn't even, you know, if you're, if you're living now and you look know, at Viagra, you think Viagra was always here, but it's in fact, relatively short. History, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: It was came yeah. out the same year as my youngest child. <laughs> wow,
1: well, 96.
2: Yeah, 1997. I was pregnant 97. with her. That's how I remember. Mm-hmm. Wow,
1: yeah. wow, wow. So before we dive into the book, um, I just want to talk a little bit about context. So, so why do you think that uh, as you get into these discussions about sex, wh- why do you think we have such trouble talking about sex? And, um, You know, I mean, I, certainly growing up, you know, I remember you, you couldn't even say, let's have a talk about sex. with was like, Let's talk about the birds and the bees, which is like what <laughs> you know. What, what, what is, is
2: that? We don't yeah. have we. Let's start with the fact that we don't often have to. We don't have language. Like mm-hmm. I will often start my lectures to parents. I talk to parents often about talking to kids about sex because I think that is so critical. Mm-hmm. So you, you, those of you out there, even if your kids are grown up, time to talk about sex. If you have grandchildren, time to talk to them about sex. Anyway, um, one of the things I'll say is take out a piece of paper and just write for me or your phone and tell me what were the words at home that you used for penis what were the words used for vagina what were the words used for vulva for masturbation you know for intercourse and like people just start laughing because they didn't even have the language right they may have had some like cute little nickname for the penis they usually didn't even have a nickname for a vagina the vulva didn't even exist. Do you know what I mean? Like masturbation, God forbid, anybody should say that word. So people didn't have language. And I think shame gets sent from generation to generation. And, you know, people have some religious hangups, but you know what? It's not just religion. It really isn't. Like, it's just the ethos in the air. Like people feel uncomfortable talking about sex. And it's so ironic, Ron, because it feels like We're like saturated with sex, right? Like it's on the billboards, it's on like the advertisements, it's on the TV, it's everywhere you turn and yet, and yet... Nobody seems to be having real conversations about sex. And and we need them. We're hungry for them. We're hungry for them at age 12 and 20 and 30 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80. We need those conversations. And they just, they don't happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And I think ironic, even you said on religious grounds, you don't know, talk about it. But if, if you read the Bible carefully, there's a yes. lot of sex
2: in the Bible. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm often telling When I talk to parents, religious parents, I'm like, if, if, if parents are like, I always laugh. They're like, "Well, it never comes up." We're we're totally comfortable. Talk- this is actually re- really funny, and I think your listeners could probably relate to this. Mm-hmm. It, it ha- most of the people at my lectures will say, "Oh, I'm totally comfortable talking about sex. It just never comes up." And I'm like, "Really? It never comes up?" <laughs> and like, I'm like, "It is coming up all the time, even in your Bible classes." And you know, you need to jump on those opportunities.
1: Right? Yeah. Um, so let, let's go back to what I mentioned somewhat in the uh, the introduction, which is uh, sort of debunking the persistent uh, myths about sex. And so th- th- again, let's just, re- so that there there is this notion, I guess, from my perspective, virility, you know, masculine virility, that, of, of, you know, great sex comes naturally and it doesn't. So talk about that. Why do we think it comes naturally? And, and it certainly does not.
2: There are moments in your life where you may feel that sex is coming naturally, like, mostly when your body's getting these huge surges of hormones. And that will be often at adolescence mm-hmm. when all of a sudden that, you know, you feel like, oh my God, I can't keep down an erection or I want to have sex constantly early in relationships where there also are surges of hormones. Right. Um, and, you know, every once in a while, you'll get into a state where the sex feels easy and natural, but for most people, I would say the, huge majority of people, you kind of have to learn what works for you and um, work at it and mm-hmm. feel com- work at feeling comfortable with it. And then surprise of all surprises, it changes, right? Like mm-hmm. somehow we have this idea that at age 18 or 20 or 14 or 25, we're going to learn how to have sex. And that's the way we're going to have sex for the rest of our lives, and nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. It just changes all the time. You know, our bodies change, our medications change, our our back changes, our partners change, our life situation changes, our emotional life changes. Everything mm. is changing constantly. And so what happens for people, I think, is that they, they kind of learn, oh, this is the way you have sex, whatever works really well for them at, let's say, 23 or 25. And then when they start hitting road bumps, which everybody hits, there is no such thing as somebody not hitting road bumps, they kind of feel like they don't know what to do. They don't know who to talk to. They just let things like go veering off the rails. They stop having sex. They stop talking about it. They feel a huge amount of shame about it. And in most cases, almost everything is really and truly fixable. Like it it is sort of mind boggling to me how long people will live with sexual problems. And those sexual problems were actually pretty easy to fix. But the secondary problems, the problems that the way they feel about themselves, what it's done to the relationship, what it's done to their, like whether they're dating or whatever it's affected, you know, those are way, way harder to fix very often. So if, if people could take one message from this entire show, it is that almost every problem you hit is normal and fixable, a really and truly be that erection issues or be that Dry vaginas, or be that no libido, or be whatever it is. But if you let it, if you let it sit, then that becomes much, much harder to fix. Mm -hmm. Because then, then you've got you know if if like let's say you have a woman and she's got no libido and she becomes really avoidant and her partner's really hurt. So either he looks outside the marriage or they feel very distant or he starts getting really angry. And then those things become much, much more complicated to fix. So I I do think that this idea that sex is like natural and super easy and we all know how to do it and it just needs to be thrown out the window. Just does.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I just uh, laugh. I see some of these shows, you know, where these couples meet and they all of a sudden they're like... <laughs> Kissing passionately, right. throwing each other's, gripping each other's clothes up and going into the. bed. I'm like, I don't think I've ever done that, you know, any, yes. You know,
3: no, you know, yeah.
2: TV has done so much more damage, I think, than almost anything else with our expectation. You know, the, the the thing that makes me laugh all the time, Ron, is that, you know, I don't know if you know the statistic. The number of women who have an orgasm from intercourse alone. Do you know mm-hmm. that statistic? Do you happen to know that statistic? No, okay. I it's do not. Three out of ten, it's 30% of women. Okay. Mm. Yet nearly every woman, well, not so many women at this point, but nearly every man I know thinks that 100% of women should have orgasms from intercourse and that there's something wrong with either them or their partner if they're not able to produce an orgasm from intercourse. Well, three out of 10, that means seven out of 10 women do not have an orgasm from intercourse. Most women don't. And it gets that percentage gets higher as women get older. Hmm. So, you know, that you know and I'm always screaming my head off at the TV because every time you watch television, right? They they exactly what you said, the the clothes fall off, right? Like there's no buttons, there's no whatever um there's no wet spot at the end on the bed like it's amazing anyway um but in addition to that like the penis knows where it's going with like it's a homing pigeon there's no hand guiding (laughs) that penis and and the woman invariably has an orgasm from intercourse and i I just feel like there's so much so much misrepresentation going on um on tv and movies that it it makes it almost hard for anybody in this field to like regain control of the real narrative
1: yeah absolutely um so as long as we're on uh, you know talking about shifted to women and men to, um let's start talking about s- some of the differences you talked about just now in, t- in terms of orgasms and i think that um you know i guess orgasms and erections they that's the, the correlate but so what what are what are some just some of the you so you focus on on women and sex so what are some of the things i that do focus on
2: women but i do a lot of men stuff too yeah mm-hmm. they're, they're integrally linked <laughs> so. right um, actually the correlate I would say for orgasms are orgasms and the correlate for intercourse for a, an erection might be a vagina that feels ready to have intercourse. Like, I feel like those are more correlated because like right. orgasms for women, orgasms for women. Um, and I'm sorry, but you were about to ask me a question. Am I? No, no,
1: go ahead. go ahead. Wait,
2: no. You said, what was your question?
1: Well, I was just, you know, looking at, at what are the know, yeah, what are the, what are, so what are the, the biggest issues for, for women, um, that. That women should be aware of, and that men sh- also should, should be, be aware th- of, yeah.
2: Right. So, pain. Let's start with pain for women. I, okay. I cannot tell you the number of women who think it's perfectly normal to have pain when they have intercourse, and that is, you're listening to me, ladies, women, and whatever. If, who's ever listening to me, men, women, whatever. You should not have pain with intercourse. Period. End of story. That's not to say that every once in a while something might feel slightly uncomfortable that's fine, but you should not be having pain with intercourse. And I get that with the 18 and 20 year olds sometimes, but I cannot tell you how how many times I have it with the perimenopausal and the menopausal women. So, and can I tell you, like, I love, love working with perimenopausal and menopausal women, because I can usually get that problem solved super easy. The other day, I just finished working with this menopausal woman who literally said to me, Six months ago, we we met like once a month, so maybe five or six times. She said, six months ago, if you had said to me that uh, my sex life would be back on track, I thought it was dead, dead, dead in the water. I wasn't interested. It killed. I wasn't able to have intercourse. Like I wasn't able to have any kind of sexual, I wasn't interested anymore. And what happens as you hit perimenopause and menopause is you get, you have pain often because your vagina is just very Hormonally mediated, it's very affected by hormones and your hormones drop. And so you have pain when you're trying to have intercourse, and that sort of starts correlating pain with sex in your brain. And that makes you not want to have sex. And your libido usually drops also, and you start shutting down your brain from all kinds of erotic thoughts. So there's a whole host of things going on and they're easy to get. It's pretty easy to get the wheel turning the other direction mm-hmm. with menopausal women, if you can do that. But I will tell you that pain is just such a pain for women across the board, pain and low libido are really, really the biggies. That's my experience across the board. And we can have a conversation about vibrators because I feel like it's the most underused tool in women's set sexual arts um, arsenal and it should be talked about more. And for men, often, whereas younger men have premature ejaculation problems, older men tend to have erection problems, totally common, totally common. I'm going to give you a statistic on that in a second and delayed ejaculation.
1: All right. So let, on that note, that's, <laughs> I need to take a quick break. Um, oh, sorry. So, no, that's OK. So we will. But that's a good place to break because we'll get people right back from the break. So, folks, uh, we are going to take a short break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we'll be talking much more with certified sex therapist but Sheba Marcus. So don't go anywhere. Don't we'll be right back.
3: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. the boroughs are new york city the burbs are everywhere else real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward it's the biggest investment most people ever make fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day and we're not playing with monopoly money how do you stay ahead who's buying who's selling and why what do they know we want the truth you need an edge burrows and burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high stakes world of real estate From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burroughs and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward.
1: Welcome back, folks. We're talking with internationally recognized sex therapist by Sheba Marcus, the author of Satisfaction Guaranteed, How to Have Sex, the Sex You've Always Wanted. Before the break, we were talking about a lot of different things, but we ended up talking a little bit about um, um, statistics between men and women in terms of what are the, the difficulties with each side. Um, we were talking about um, uh, difficulties having orgasms, erections, and you were, you. were I guess before the break, you were talking about some of the different statistics. So let's go back at that, and then um, uh, then you said <laughs> so we had a, a vibrator. So we'll get to that next, though.
2: Okay. Okay. Let's, I just want to normalize for any of the men listening here about erection. I mean, you're going to have erection problems. I'm just saying, like, I just, I don't know how to say that in a nicer way. Like, just so you know, the statistic aligns that the same percentage of guys have problems with erection as their age. So guys in their thirties, 30% of them will have erection problems. Guys in their forties, 40%. Guys in their sixties, 60%. Guys in their seventies, 70%. It is going to be very, very hard for you to get through life without having erection problems. Fortunately, they are super duper easy to solve now. Both from with, with the oral medications, you know, Viagra, Levitra, Cialis, super easy. Um, there are laser procedures now that can help as well. Um, um, there are all kinds of other. There's, there's, if if you have a penis, you can get an erection. I just want you to know that. I will also say, however that erections really don't have to be the be-all and end-all of sex for people. Like you don't, I know we think of sex as being intercourse and that again is a little bit thank you to TV set stations, but I will tell you, you know, when we talk about sex, it, it's really frustrating to me because if you said to um, the average person on the street, like what would somebody have to do in order for it to have qualified as having sex? most people i think will say well penis gets erect, goes into a vagina you know that's sex well that's a very very limited definition mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. a very helpful one because as you heard only 30 percent of women have orgasms from a penis in the vagina and if you ask most women if they were willing to give up one kind of sex be it manual using hands or oral or using a vibrator uh, intercourse would probably not be on the last things they want to give up, right? It might be in the more first list. Like a lot of women like intercourse and some women love intercourse. But for most women, it is not the most pleasurable part of having sex. So the fact that we as a society have defined sex by, inter- you know intercourse, it's really not super helpful. And, and I think that's a really hard burden for men to carry because it means that their penis is carrying the entire sex life. <laughs> and I think really, I mean how you're laughing and I think it's funny. I agree, but it's true. And I think that the more sort of men can start thinking, oh, you have also 10 fingers, 10 toes, other parts of your body, your mouth. There's a lot of other ways for you to have sex and stop feeling so much pressure about it. That really is super helpful. In addition to knowing that, erection problems are really, of all the sexual problems, one of the easiest to solve. So I, I want the men to know that. And, and um, I guess, Ron, while we're talking statistics, can I finish up the orgasm Absolutely, one? yeah. Do you mm-hmm. mind? Okay, i no, just like, no. once I'm doing statistics, I just want to round them out. So 3 out of 10 women, 30% of women have an orgasm from intercourse. mm mm-hmm. 70 to 80%, that will be seven or eight women out of 10, will have an orgasm from a hand or a mouth, either their own hand or their partner's hand or their partner's mouth. Um, and 95% can have an orgasm with a vibrator. So, mm. and that, those percentages go even up higher as women get older. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's there's your percentages and that's that's what it is, folks.
1: Right, Yeah. Yeah, we, we were talking in the break about uh, a show that we both watched, Grace and Frankie, uh, in the Netflix series uh, with um, Jane Font and Lily Tomlin. And, uh, you know, it, obviously one of the things that, that's made the show kind of notorious was that these two women, well, a number of, there were a lot of things that would sort of broke the norms, but they, they decided to go into business together, you know, selling vibrators. And, and uh, you know, who would have thought that, that this is something you could, that especially that you know these two older women would would uh, light upon and and really t- take seriously and be successful at it you know so I think I thought that was very interesting it was great
2: it was great and it was so on point because for many many women it gets harder to have an orgasm even even the women who Used to have them from intercourse may not anymore so for women who used to be able to have one easily from the mouth they may not anymore you know we change everything changes our neurological makeup changes and the vibrators just make it so much easier so for older women to embrace the concept of using a vibrator with a partner now we're not talking about just by yourself like this mm-hmm. i think we need to really clarify for people um really is is really important and i could talk about vibrators I, did you know i did my phd thesis on vibrator use no
1: yeah i did i think i might have uh, uh, seen that in your bio but i forgot that momentarily yes
2: yeah so so 25 years ago when i did my phd um nobody had done any research on on vibrator use at, mm. with women or there had been extremely limited now there's actually quite a bit more um so yeah so i was i was fascinated by it and i i as i said to you i think it's one of the most underused tool in women's sexual arsenal, and dare I say, in men's sexual arsenal as well, because most men want to please women as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I was looking at what happened, like how did it change a woman's experience when you introduced vibrator stimulation? Like, what did what did that do? And you know, over the last 25 years the number of types of vibrators that have come out and the vibrators can do anything now. They can tell time, they can talk to you. Really? (laughs) What they they cannot do is hold you if you're sad, take you to dinner, dance with you. Like for anybody who's listening to this and thinks, well, the vibrator would replace me. I want to assure you it only makes you more valuable. (laughs) So, um, you know, so I think people don't think of vibrator so much as for use in, Couple situation. And I think that's a shame. And well, yeah, I'm happy to say more about that if you want. But
1: (laughs) well, I guess I wanted to talk about just a talk about the talk about it, which is um, how do you create a safe space to talk about sex, not only in our society, but with your partner if there are difficulties? You know, what how do you advise people, you know, to deal with the subject? You know, are are there ways that you, um, you know, um, this? offer suggestions for how, how to have conversations about sex?
2: So I love that question. I love that question so much because I feel like that is, it gets the heart for so many people, like solving problems can't happen until you talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to talk about it. So, and and the longer you let it go, sometimes the more awkward it feels, like it's, it's harder and harder to talk about and you don't want to make the other person feel terrible and you're feeling terrible and very vulnerable yourself. So some of the suggestions that I will offer usually are, not to talk about in the bedroom. Do do not have a conversation in the bedroom. Do not have a conversation before you've tried to have sex or after you've had sex. Worst time, right? Best time is in some very neutral zone, often also just like the car, someplace where you're not actually looking at each other. It's not that different from the, (laughs) not that different from the suggestions I give parents when they're talking to teenagers, okay? Like not necessarily needing to make eye contact, right? You want to be able to be in a very neutral zone and you want to start by making it really clear that you love the person and it's because of that. And there may be a lot of things you like about your sex life, you know, um, or, you know, love about the fact that, you know, your relationship's going, even though you haven't had sex, and that you are interested in improving your sex life because you want to improve your relationship with your partner. Like that is, I feel like the message you want to give. The last thing you want to do is blame. This is true about any discussion. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, um, and and sometimes people sort of gear towards that because they're they they they're so defensive themselves, like it's your fault. Like we haven't had sex in months and that's because you're not interested, right? Like that, right. you know, and that may be the case, but that's not gonna help you to throw that out there, right? So much more would be like, I really love you. And I feel like the quality of our relationship is so much better when we're having sex. We haven't been having sex recently and I'm trying to figure out how to do that. So that becomes the conversation right that if if it's possible and um you know if you need the help of an outside person to talk it through um then that's fine but i do realize that even that involves a first conversation right i'd like to go see a sex therapist right like i'd like to go see a therapist who can talk to specifically about this um even that involves a conversation so i i my strong advice is to start the conversation in a neutral place in a loving way to cap it in the first in the back in the loving way and to frame it as you're trying to make things better. I will also say mm-hmm. if you're a woman and you're having trouble having this conversation with a man, you may have to have this conversation more than once, mm-hmm. right? In my experience having what, it works le- I see this less the opposite direction. Often, when like men initiate the conversation, often not always. Sometimes women will just bury it. Also, but women will sometimes you know scurry to find solutions. They're nervous. They want to get things. Right. Whereas men sometimes need to hear something a few times before they're willing to sort of grapple with it. So don't get discouraged. Just try to have that conversation again, um, and here's my advice don't give up on it do not give up on your sex life you deserve you deserve and you are capable of having a good sex life you need to believe that and then if you know that that's true then the conversation becomes sort of worth it do you have anything to add to that i'm sure you do well uh,
1: my my sense is just to to reinforce what you just said which is that people have this expectation like oh one and done let's just have a conversation about this and you know it's um it's not one one conversation, you know, it, it, this is just a a total parallel. But, you know, I do a lot of work with uh, caregiving, you know, um, family caregiving. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, a lot of it deals with, you know, um, adult children and their parents or other loved ones. Uh, and I have the, uh, this, uh, you know, tool of a family conversation. But what I try to explain is that there are many. It's not one family conversation. There may be many conversations. And so, you know, complicated problems, emotional problems require a number of conversations. Be expect to have a number of conversations and and tease it out. And, and um, you know, I thought what, what you mentioned earlier was important of picking a sort of a neutral situation. So, you know, I'm not sure. So taking taking your spouse out to dinner, may be a little bit, you know, you might feel sort of cornered out you know, in a restaurant to bring this up. Um, but um yeah, I think it, and, and to not do it in the bedroom. I think that's good advice, you know, like don't that the, don't bring that pressure on there, you know, just to, um, a, and I guess just to, to what you're saying, just try to normalize a conversation. It's not about, you know, uh, and, and just it's not, it's not necessarily just fixing something that's broken, you know what I mean? It's not it's just going back to your initial point that these are just problems that we all have, and that they're, they're um, fixable. And they're changeable. Um, I guess what I wanted to ask you too is that, uh, you know, what you mentioned earlier was interesting about how sex changes, and uh, you know, thinking about it, of course, probably is more so these days as you change partners. or divorce rate's high, so next partner is different. You know, maybe some of those breaks in relationships occurred because people didn't talk about sex and thought something was wrong. Yeah. Oh
2: yeah. 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 Talk
1: about that a little bit. What 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 causes breakdowns?
2: So, you know, this is really heart-wrenching to me because I feel like so many, I I cannot tell you how many relationships I see crumbling because, Mm -hmm. you know, whether we like it or not to a certain degree, sex is the glue that often keeps people together. Like it's what changes a roommate into a significant other. (laughs) Do you Mm know what I mean? Like that's not to say there aren't some couples out there who don't have sex, who are fine. Um, But in my experience, when you stop having sex, cracks start to appear and it makes it much, much harder to negotiate those cracks. You know, I I, uh, I have women saying to me all the time, like, if I come home and I see his socks on the floor yet again, if we've had good sex, I scoop up the socks and I dump them into the hamper and I laugh. And if we haven't had sex in a really long time, I want to take those socks and I want to smash them down, you know, stuff them down his mouth. Do you mm. know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I feel like, and, you know, I say to people, I didn't go into this field because body part A, putting body part... A and part into body part B is so fascinating to me. I mean, it is interesting, but that's not what got me into this field. What got me into this field is what happens when, what's transformed when we're having sex. The difference I see in the way people feel about themselves, feeling alive and sexually part of this world, they feel just different. They feel alive is the best word I can describe, alive and vital. And that is true about relationships as well. That when people have good sex in a relationship, however frequently you're having it, there it changes the caliber of the the, the relationship in such a way that it makes it really, um, you know, just it it, it it measurably a different experience for both people in in the relationship. And so, what happens when there's no sex is that it just starts to crumble and. Not everybody, not always, but it just feels fundamentally different. And I think people, you know, kind of need to realize that. And yeah, can I say one more thing or am sure. on going on? Sure, right? go ahead.
1: Go ahead. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, so one of the things that really drives me insane is when people go to couples therapists and mm-hmm. the couples therapist says something like, well, I hear your sex life is a problem, but I just want you to know that if we fix the Relationship and the communication, then the sex will follow. So no worries. Let's just talk about the relationship, the communication. That's bullshit. If you don't mind my yep. things, I don't mind yep. say that on the radio. Anyway, um, so um, there can be excellent relationships and no sex, and the problem is the sex, and the sex is creating the problems in the relationship. And you can fix some relationships and get the communication smoothly, beautifully, and still not fix sex. You need. To really address the sex if that's what you want to do and i just needed to put that in there because i feel like that's such a common misconception
1: right um so we're going to talk i want to chef we're going to take a break shortly but before that i'd still want to uh, point us to to the book itself because you have lots of practical advice in the book um and uh you know everyday advice that improves your sex life and fixes relationship so um uh what i want to talk about and we'll probably take a break and then we'll come right back but we're gonna on, on our way there which you know talk about some examples some of the practical things you talk about uh you mentioned things about ways you can make sex a bit hotter um we've talked about vibrators but 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 talk about just some of the complications um and how we how we can address some of these complications in a, in a using your point system so Folks, um, as you can tell, there's a lot more to talk about with but Dr. Batsheva Marcus. Uh, we'll be right back after a quick break. Don't go anywhere.
3: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
0: Every conversation we have with the people in our lives is part of a relationship with them. From coworkers and bosses, to spouses, kids, and parents, to your favorite cashier at the grocery store, the path a relationship takes can have many twists and turns. The Relationship Road Trip, hosted by Dr. Don Azevedo, is here to provide a roadmap for your relationships. The Relationship Road Trip, Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. self-improvement career advice and a variety of other topics check us out today you're sure to find something of interest voice america variety talk on today's hot topics
3: it's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health wealth and happiness are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts then tune in to the forbes factor with celebrity tv host keynote speaker and inspirational icon forbes riley
0: Now back to 45 Forward.
1: Welcome back, folks. We're talking with internationally recognized sex therapist, Bhatsheva Marcus, the author of Satisfaction Guaranteed, How to Have the Sex You've Always Wanted. Um, before the break, I mentioned uh, the, the, the book. And, um, you know, the book is filled with lots of uh, practical, everyday advice to improve our sex lives. So I wanted to ask Bhatsheva just just to give us some thoughts, of you know, from the book, you know.
2: Sure. So... Here's one piece of advice that I would give every single couple. As a matter um, I was doing a program with a male sex therapist, a sex therapist who's a male. And um, they asked, well, if you had one piece of advice to give couples, what would it be? And the two of us answered almost, almost identically, which so we were laughing. Um, you need to schedule sex into your life. You need to schedule sex into your life. People hate hearing that. They They feel like it is... So unromantic. Like, that going back to our ridiculous notions about sex, people have this like romantic, romanticized notion that the desire and the urge to have sex will just sort of like pixie dust fall on us. Well, you know what? We are busy. We are busy with our careers. We are busy with our children and grandchildren. If we have them. We are busy with our partners. We are busy with our parents. Like, we are just inundated. And if you don't put sex on the agenda it isn't going to happen and um you know it's so funny for, for me because i feel like people are like i don't schedule sex if, when i talk to couples who have a good sex life and have had a good sex life for 30 or 40 years they'll be like i don't schedule sex and i'm like oh, okay that's fine when do you have sex and they'll say oh usually just Once or twice over the weekend, or once over the weekend, and maybe once in the middle of the week, or they'll say, I don't know, we don't usually let more than three or four days go by with that. That is scheduling sex. They have absolutely 100% integrated a very natural scheduling of sex. But for people who are either struggling or haven't had sex in a while or trying to rebuild their sex life, having a structured schedule makes it Mm -hmm. so much easier. And that means sitting down with your partner and your freaking planner, and your calendar, and you're like, okay, sweetie, it's really important that we have sex, and we haven't had sex in a while, and I want to make sure we do it, so let's figure out a time, Sunday mornings, whatever, time will work best. So that's one very practical piece of advice. And I talk more about this in the book, so I'm not going to really go into this in detail, but mm-hmm. if there's a desire discrepancy, like if one person wants to have sex and one person doesn't, that becomes triply important with all kinds of caveats so i w- just urge you that if you're listening and you're one of those people who are having the struggle because one person wants more sex than the other there is a, there are ways in terms of scheduling that really really make a difference so mm-hmm. that would be number advice one piece number one right uh, advice piece number two you already hit on i think well should i keep going i feel like no, i am not keep is going. a monologue and like no no not at my...
1: all no no okay. that's
2: Okay, advice piece number two, which we you sort of hit on before, which is that do not think of sex as intercourse. Intercourse and sex are not synonymous. Like, let's, let's move out of that box. Like, especially as we're getting older, let's think about sex in a much broader way. Like, can we have just oral sex? Can we have mutual masturbation going on? Are there other ways for us to have sex that take the pressure off of on us but allow us to feel like very close and like we had the sexual encounter so I think that's piece of advice number two so that's when I thought it in. okay piece of advice number three would be get the medical help you need if that means you're having erection problems if that means you have premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation if that means you're having pain if that means your testosterone and I want to talk about testosterone for a minute um there are huge physiological components your sex life don't let anybody tell you it's all about the talking and the communication and the the feeling close to the other person those are really important i'm not knocking those but there are huge physiological components so i don't know have you done anything on the show about testosterone for men or nope. women no nope. okay so um i mean do you have any thoughts about it before i like launch no into no more? let's okay. let's go
1: into it yeah i want to hear okay. this
2: men and women need testosterone period you need testosterone to keep your libido functioning you need it for other reasons also Men have way more than women, but women need it also. And we as a society have completely sort of ignored that. We think men have testosterone, women have estrogen. Well, first of all, men's testosterone takes a huge nose dive after like 40 or 50. Mm-hmm. So if you're a guy and you're feeling like my libido kind of isn't where it used to be, And it's not so good. And that's a problem, because in a lot of relationships, for good and for bad, the men have been the engines. And if the engine is no longer functioning, Mm -hmm. somehow they stop having sex. Um, I'd say go get your testosterone checked. And don't, don't, do not go to a general urologist, because general urologists really don't know this. What you need to do is look for a sexual health specialist who's in your area. There are plenty of them, urologists who are sexual health specialists who can test your testosterone. For men, testosterone builds muscle gets rid of fat, keeps your brain functioning um, and really, really has an impact on your libido. It does all the same things for women, by the way, as well. Um, and so I would have the same advice for women. If your libido is flagging, find yourself a sexual health specialist who can really work with you, with your estrogen and with your testosterone. Um, it is, It is so physiological and people when they stop having sex they st- or stop wanting to have sex, they start thinking, oh, maybe there's a problem in the relationship. Like they go down this rabbit hole of like, oh, maybe we don't love each other anymore. Maybe we're not really compatible anymore. And that is just so it's so counterproductive. Maybe it's just your testosterone levels. Yeah. So I, I think that's another really concrete piece of advice that I want to throw out. There. I have many more, but I'm
1: yeah, well, I think that's important. I think usually, again, we sort of think like, well, um things should be the same forever it's like no your body changes just like everything else in your life and uh so i think it's important to look at that this physiological piece the only thing i would ask you that i think those are really good pieces that um you know in terms of the scheduling going back to that one is, is to to figure out what are the you know what's going on in your life <laughs> what are the obstacles what are the emotional things you're going through um again there they're, you know I, I think a lot of things that you know from my own experience i mean they're just emotional uh, periods of your life where you're just trying to figure out how do i get through this and and how to if you can navigate that and and, I, and identify them i think a lot of them are related to then you know your sexual relationship
2: you right know. trying to buy. you know it's interesting and i you know sometimes i talk to clients and it kind of blows their mind i just had this client the other day who said oh my god i cannot believe i never thought about this myself Bacheva. but The reality is that when there's, people think, if I fix the relationship, I'll fix the sex life. I've said this to you. What people don't always realize is that sometimes if you fix the sex life, you fix the relationship. And when you're going through problematic, troubling times in your lives, if you guys can be together and feel like you are in this together and you are allowing the other person to really be there for you and you to be there for the person... And sex does that in a lot of ways. And sometimes it makes it easier to work for it as a team. You know what I mean? Like people don't think of sex as being sort of like an important component. They think of it like as just sort of an add-on to your life. But it is is—it is a critically important component. And um, it just becomes so like weird to me that we're in a society that so privileges sort of verbal communication over the physical piece of it and how important the physical piece can actually have an impact on the relationship. And, and so sometimes relationships are better when you get the sex going better and that helps you get through so much of the other, you know, problems that we're facing in our lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sitting and getting sex on the schedule and sort of working on your sex life has such bigger implications than just your sex
1: life. Right. Yeah. Now this is a, uh... A sidebar here, but in our previous conversations, I just wanted to get in a bit of a mention in the last segment here about your practice uh, with bariatrics and weight loss therapy, because it's something else that you do. Um, it, it's not the same as what we've been talking about, but just just uh, talk about how you got into that as, in addition to sex therapy.
2: So, you know, in, in a weird way, it is very similar, and I'll tell you why. So, okay. I had bariatric surgery four years ago. I lost 100 pounds. I know. And I'm five feet. I'm five foot one. So I'm like, it was a lot of weight. Um, And it obviously changed my life dramatically. But more than that, it became so clear to me how much I'd been told my whole life oh, this is psychological. You need to like figure out why you're eating and, you know, deal with all the psychological issues, which I had done. I had done for years and years. I was in so much therapy. I was, I was before I lost the weight at 100 pounds overweight a nutritionist dream. I was eating Mm. perfectly, really perfectly. And my body, the physiology, we just don't understand. We're just starting to understand how much your brain chemistry and how much um, your insulin and how much your hormones have an impact on your weight and the stability of your weight and your ability to lose weight. Because once I had that surgery, it kind of resets all your hormones and your body weight being the weight off has been easy, easy. I'm telling you, I I eat the same as I was before. And all of a sudden I I realized, oh my God, the same mistakes we were making with sex, where we were saying it's all in your head or it's in your body, as opposed to realizing how much those work together. Hmm. That is exactly the same as what going on with our approach to weight in this country and body in this country so i went back and got certified as a bariatric counselor as well and i do work with clients on that as well and i again i feel like we just we don't we're so bifurcated in our society in terms of like mm. the brain and the body don't you think like i yeah. like don't have those working together
1: right yeah i think that you know the, the separation i mean i know it's it's just you know, it's a simplistic way to sort of break up and look at things, but the reality is they're such so interconnected that, you know, the physical and the mental are are just really totally. Uh, yeah.
2: Totally. You know, it's funny. Once years ago, I was on some I don't know, some podcast and uh, I started talking about sex and scheduling sex and making sure you do it. And um and somebody said, Oh my god, bachav it sounds like you're talking about exercise. Right? Like you know, schedule you have to schedule it in. You have to schedule it in. And I, I my first reaction was like Oh no no like you know I don't want to sound like that at all and then after I was thinking about it I was like you know what your sex life is like exercise you, <laughs> we know that if you exercise regularly you feel better you're happy you did it that your 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 quality of life is better you feel better about yourself. That's what sex is exactly like. And that doesn't mean that every single time I'm sitting on the sofa, I feel like getting up to go for a walk. It doesn't mean that. It just means that I know that I've picked things to do that make me feel happy. And that when I'm walking, I'm enjoying it. And when I finish walking, I'm really happy. And that my quality of life is better all around. And like I'm telling you, I think our sex lives, thinking of it as an like very similar to the way we think about building movement into our lives... And eating into our lives is just, I feel like those are much better models in terms right. of long-term impact.
1: Yeah. And they go back to your initial premise, which is your your first piece of advice, which is you have to schedule that too. You have, yes. you know, you have to schedule exercise. If you, if you think it's going to happen magically, it won't.
2: Exactly. <laughs> to- even if you like it, even if you love exercise, That's you've right. got to schedule it and it's not going to happen otherwise.
1: Right, right. Well, before we close, we have a few minutes left, but I want to make sure um, we just uh, let our guests know uh, our our audience know uh, how how can people find out more about you? Have a website? Uh, how can they get a copy of your book and so forth?
2: Okay, so my website is dr. Batsheva, drbatsheva mm-hmm. dr b a t s h e v a drbatsheva dot and um you can my book's link there but my book's everywhere it's on Amazon it's okay. on okay. Barn Noble anywhere you buy books is my book. There are a few books called Satisfaction Guaranteed, but it's the only one called Satisfaction Guaranteed, <laughs> How to Have the Sex You Always Wanted. I'm also right. all over social media. If you're a social media person and you're on Facebook or Instagram or, believe it or not, TikTok, um, okay. they love grandmas on TikTok, it turns out. So I have a huge <laughs> following on TikTok. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, and I and I I see people privately, but I lo- I feel like so much of what I talk about is in my book, and it could be so helpful to some people. So that's a great place to start.
1: Right. So if people want to contact you. Would it be best through your social media uh, platforms? Through my
2: social media, or write. You can go to my um, or go to my website, Dr. Rachava, okay. and and uh, I I answer. I try to answer. Right. Social media people often ask me questions, and then I really do try to respond as much as I can publicly, but not always. You know, I can't always answer everybody's questions. Obviously, right,
1: right, right. Um, so uh, we just have a you know a minute or two left. But uh, mm-hmm. anything that I haven't asked you, want to just last closing words?
2: I guess I would say to everybody listening mm-hmm. that sometimes when your sex life is kind of a mess, it feels like it's insurmountable. And I hope, I hope by listening to this, you got the idea that almost every problem is treatable and every problem is fixable and that you have the right and you will be happier probably with a good sex life and you deserve it and you can make it happen. So I, I just want people to feel empowered. That's the Great. most important thing.
1: Right. Great. OK, well, folks, uh, you can tell your friends to listen. You can they listen to my conversation with Batsheva Marcus as a podcast on VoiceAmerica.com. After today, just uh, click on VoiceAmerica.com. Look for my um, my show, uh, or you can find it on rowellresources.com Click on the 45 Forward tab. Uh, and be sure to join me next Monday, uh, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, when I'll be talking with Michelle Arnault and Carrie Lelica, uh, who are co-chairs of a terrific series of webinars called the Unity for Long-Term Care. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward.